This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you aboard today. Coming up in hour two, John Bartlett will uh, talk to us about uh, game six tonight. The Dallas Stars facing off against the Vegas Golden Knights. Push, push, push. Let's get a game seven. More hockey. Thank you very much. Also, Paul Paduti from AdjustedHockey.com uh, will talk to us about why goalies continue to get shafted when it comes to Hall of Fame voting uh, and who should be in there already but isn't because of it. Uh, in the meantime, Mike Russo, our good friend from the Athletic Stops, by most recently having a really interesting conversation, uh, Q&A style, with uh, Florida Panthers head coach Paul Maurice. Uh, Russo joins me now. Mike, how are you today, pal? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Just r- real quick, um, I-, I don't know if you had a chance much at all to, uh, to to lend an eyeball to the World Hockey Championship, the IIHF Worlds. Um, Canada wins gold, Germany silver, and specifically Latvia comes away with the uh, with the bronze medal. And, you know, a lot of Latvian hockey players that a lot of us, you know, thought about it at that time will include Archer's Urbe. And I did a thing on the podcast about Helmut Balderas. And I, I wanted to mention uh, Sergei Joltok as well, uh, ex, you know, the late Minnesota Wild uh, player who... Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately uh, uh, passed away. But just like players that have laid that, you know, Latvian foundation, those players that, that came before that sort of led to, you know, what is sort of a, a, a rise here of Latvian hockey as we're watching the Swiss rise and the, the Germans rise as well. We're also watching, you know, Latvian hockey players and Latvian hockey teams rise. I, I'm not sure if you had a chance to to peek or, or had a thought of what we saw at the World Championships. But, but if you did, if you could share a thought or two, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw Gordon Muller's tweets uh, from the airport today that showed a bunch of the Latvian fans pretty much passed out in the airport. Yeah. thought that was funny. Um, yeah. You know, I covered San Jose's lunch for a long time, and I know that he was extremely, um, you know, proud of his of his country and, and, and always talked about um, just what, you know, his career meant back home and, and things like that. I never, unfortunately, got the – got to cover uh sergey Jeltok uh personally um you know he passed away during the lockout and and i moved here right at the end yeah. of the lockout but i've heard a ton about him um over the years and just what guys like andrew Burnett and darby hendrickson um and Dwayne rollison and, and so many people have talked about just what type of uh human being he was and what type of person he was and how proud he was also of, of his country and things like that so um you know it clearly we're seeing the growth of hockey throughout the world. We're seeing Germany, uh, you know, really have an incredible showing there and, and, um, and continue to just rise up in the ranks, um, you know, uh, um, in the national hockey league as well. So, um, you know, really good tournament, happy for Jake Middleton, uh, one of the funniest players yeah. that I think I've ever covered in my life. Um, you know, he is just <laughs> such a good dude and, uh, and had a good showing. I mean, as, yep. you know, uh, the games I watched, he looked great and, had the mustache going and, uh, you know, really happy for Canada. Uh, very comfortable, not wearing a whole lot of clothes. You know, just before you yeah. uh, came on, I was, I was talking to Elliot, and we were talking about you know some of the players that we're we're really happy for on on Team Canada. You know, I threw out there Milan Lucic, and you know who knows what this off season is going to bring for for Luch. And uh, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned uh, Jake Middleton as well. He he's one of my favorites too. He's a a throwback guy, and like I've always said about Middleton, and every single and, and listen, anyone who's ever played beer league hockey knows the exact guy that I'm talking 
talking about. There's one guy in every room that's just way too comfortable not wearing clothes around everybody. And for the for the Minnesota Wild, Mike, you're there, true or false, that guy is Jacob Middleton. Yeah, he doesn't wear anything other than a jock strap under his uh his uniform. No socks, no underwear. Nothing um, nope. other than uh, he, he, he literally wears a jock strap and a heart monitor. That is it. Um, and uh, he, the other thing about him too, although I got to tell you, you know, he likes to make this his claim to fame, but I've seen his wardrobe grow uh, substantially since he got the big contract here in yeah. Minnesota. Um, but his claim to fame before he got here was he basically had five t-shirts, white or black, a pair of jeans and like, yep. like sweatpants. That's it. Um, I yeah, can man. tell you yep. um, because I'm also members of a cigar member of a cigar club that he is a member at. He, his his wardrobe has grown. He is a well dressed guy, but off the ice, uh, yeah, he's he's yeah. he's a beauty to deal with, and uh, players uh, just laugh at, at his. Uh, you know, he's the one that the, the Wild have this tarps off thing going on here, where basically yep. Kevin Gorg of Valley Sports North interviews players between periods, and they all come out now, whether it's Reeves or Middleton or Addison or whoever wearing no shirts. And, uh, yeah. and Jake Middleton is the one that started that. It's, it's a, uh, if somebody is wearing a shirt in that, in that it's a rarity. So that way. That's uh, that, that's no surprise um, from, from Middleton and, uh, and, and very appreciated uh, more character in the game thank you very much um speaking of character like i'm i mean i'm a little bit biased here so let me give you a little bit of my background so uh when the toronto marlies um moved from st john's newfoundland to toronto at the then rico now coca-cola coliseum um the first year they were in existence first two years really uh, myself and john barlett who actually is going to be joining me here at the top of the hour um with the broadcast crew for radio john was working uh doing games for the barry colts of the ohl uh, i was working for the uh the radio rights holder for the maple leafs and by extension the marlies and the combination just fit john shannon uh put us both together and spent a couple of years um doing marley's games and paul maurice um was the head coach that that first season um and i spent countless hours listening to paul and he's one of the most as you know one of the most compelling speakers in the entire nhl he has the best deadpan of any coach Mm -hmm. in the nhl uh, when he goes over the top, as we saw this year in that game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, he really goes over the top. He's got a great sense of humor. He's an intense coach. He's a highly intelligent person. Uh, I encourage everyone to read your Q&A with Paul Maurice at The Athletic. Um, what did you take away from your conversation with Paul? What are some of the more salient points? Yeah, and and I've known him for a long, long time. I mean, I've known him probably 26, 27 years Um Back during his first stint of the Carolina Hurricanes, we were joking the other day when I sat mm-hmm. down with him that not far from where we were sitting down in this little star room at, at, at Florida Live Arena, he and I got into it uh, based on a little pot shot that I took at the cans in my Sunday column that he didn't love uh, very much. <laughs> so I've known him a long, long time. And he has a memory like an elephant, I can tell you that. And the funny thing about it is that Jim Rutherford, if I remember correctly, is the one that broke it up because Jim's parents lived in Delray Beach and read me every day in the Sun Sentinel. And yep. So Jim liked me and uh, and was able to calm everything down. Um, so I've known him for a long, long time. And so it was really cool sitting down with him the other day. And, you know, when you get him in a press conference, it's all non-cliches. It's great professorial type of yep. comments. 
and and really insightful stuff. And um, sitting down with him the other day, I mean, he basically said that he was fine being, in his mind, retired after leaving uh, the Winnipeg Jets. And then all of a sudden, Bill Zito came calling, and he found it to be an extremely interesting conversation. Talked to him a couple times, flew down to Florida, and met for 10 hours, basically, down there. Um, uh, you know, uh, and all they did was talk hockey. And um, the one thing that, yeah. that, that he really genuinely believed this year is that they would take a step back based on some of the players that they lost and also just the um, what his willingness was to do in these practices was teach them to play a playoff-style game. And even if it caused them to miss the playoffs, that they would be better for it in the long run. So that's the biggest thing that I took away with sitting down with him. Um, you know, as you mentioned, he's got incredible one-liners. He talks about the impact that Keith Kachuk had on the Florida Panthers organization was actually just 25 years ago, the inference being, you know, conception, and that basically has <laughs> been Mrs. Kachuk ever yep. since, but Keith had nothing to do with this. Um, he really talked um, openly about what went, why and what precipitated him going crazy in Toronto. And if you look at that Toronto game on March 29th, I believe it was, that really is the turning point of the Florida season, right? I mean, they were, they were, they lost four in a row. They gave up three shorthanded goals the day before in Ottawa. Um, Keith Kachuk went on the radio there in Toronto and called the team soft. And in the game, uh, yep. goal by the Maple Leafs, he challenges, and he just goes absolutely bonkers for the entire challenge. Um, animated stuff with his glasses and just chewing their eyes out, um, their ears off. And I think what was really interesting if you watch that video is that everybody else is just looking down and scared to death. And Matthew Kachuk is staring him mm. straight in the eye during the entire tirade. 100%. And I think that says everything about I'm, the type of player that Kachuk is. I, I'm really glad. That, that was one of my favorite parts of the piece because you brought that up. And I, I, I felt the same way watching that video. And, you know, I go back to, you know, over the weekend we saw Matthew Kachuk on the NBA on TNT. And I can't remember which panelist asked him about his father but asked, you know, what did your dad always say to you? You know, he's one of the you know, rare players who scored 500 goals in the league, et cetera. And what did he, you know, what kind of wisdom did he impart? And he said, always compete and be a good teammate. And that just didn't mean be a good teammate to your fellow players, but also everybody that works in the building, everybody that mm-hmm. does anything, your coaches, all of it. And so as, as, I, as I'm reading your piece, Mike, and, and I get to that part, I flash back to Matthew Kachuk on the, uh, on the NBA panel saying, be a good teammate. And at that moment, I think to myself, that's right from dad. If the coach is chewing you out, don't tie your skates. Look at him. Look at him and take it. Like, that is part of being... Like, when I, after I heard Matthew Kachuk say that and then, and then read your piece, it made perfect, perfect sense to me that uh, that, that that moment, that is... Like, that comes right from Dad. You know, you know Mike, how we always talk yeah. about... You know, the advantage that a second generation player has, whether it's protocols of how do you get off the bus, who checks in at the hotel first, like all these tiny little things, that comes right from dad. Like Matthew Kachuk looking at Paul Maurice while Paul Maurice is just chewing him, that comes right from dad. And I say to myself, if it were Brady Kachuk on that bench, he probably would have done the same thing, true or false, Mike Russo. Yeah, totally agree with you. And, and you know, I'll, I'll be honest, just being around the, the Panthers a lot the last week, I've gotten a really new appreciation of Matthew Kachuk. And I shouldn't just say this week. I mean, even the All-Star game and just watching, you know, talking to him a lot during that, seeing the way that he, one, started in his home building, but just the way he deals with the media and cracks jokes. He's very much like his father. 
And, you know, and just one one story that I that I've heard over and over again from not just Paul Maurice, but teammates is that his first week with the Panthers, he took all the training staff out to dinner. And, you know, Nick Cousins talked about the other day that you just watch Matthew Kachuk and the way that he treats the staff. Um, It's impressive. He's completely different off the ice than you see him on the ice. You know, on the ice, I think we all have this impression of him. Save for the clutch goals. Um, Just the the style of hockey that he plays. Obviously, here in Minnesota, we've seen him play um, Calgary a ton. You know, loves to disturb on the ice, to say it uh, lightly. Um, Minnesota Wild fans hate him because, in their mind, he ruined Matt Gumba's career. Um, but he's yeah. just got this way about him that is just he's he's really toned that stuff down and has turned into an absolute star. Um, I don't think anybody thought that he would basically best his numbers last year in Calgary with Florida this year. I mean, he's playing with Nick Cousins and Sam Bennett. He's not playing with mm-hmm. Sasha Barkov on an everyday basis except for the power play. And um, he's just been tremendous to watch and is clearly the leader of the team. And the other thing that struck me this week, Jeff, is that there's no jealousy whatsoever with Sasha Barkov. Like, Sasha is the captain of this team, but he is deferring to Matthew in so many different ways. And he's he loves mm-hmm. it. I mean, they are so tight off the ice. It, it cannot be clearer the respect that they have for each other. And he just, you know, Sasha said the other night that it is eye-opening watching um, Matthew off the ice, the way that he treats people and and, and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, it is going to be a, it's going to be a two horse race if Florida wins the cup on who's going to win the con Smythe between him and Bob. But uh, you know, with neither of these guys are they here right now without him? I mean, and um, and but Matthew has just been absolutely unbelievable, and I do think it came from Keith. And it's funny, just a quick story for you, Jeff. I was supposed to, I was hoping to watch game four with Keith Kachuk for a big, you know, athletic type story that we could write on oh, the athletic. Wow. And, and on that, that afternoon at three o'clock, I get the text from Keith, like, uh, you're going to kill me, but basically Matt has cut me off. Uh, you know, ever <laughs> since I called him soft, um, he is, I am on, I am in timeout uh... like a, like a parent would do to a child. And, um, and I am not allowed to talk to the media right now. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not for the rest of the playoffs. You will not see Keith Kachuk probably quoted anywhere. Um, just because, uh, Matthew, <laughs> I don't think, uh, loved him calling the team soft, but as Markov said in the presser the other yeah. day, it's probably the reason why they're here. It definitely, definitely caught everybody's attention in, in, uh, in that Panthers locker room when, uh, when Matthew Kachuk's dad called them soft. That was uh, with Matthew putting him in the corner there. That is the uh, the uh, the student beats the master. That is the old kung fu, <laughs> you know, snatch the pebble from my hand, grasshopper. Only then may you leave the temple. Snatch the grasshopper or snatch the pebble, grasshopper. That was the moment for Matthew and Keith Kachuk. Uh, I'm up against the mic. Thanks as always for stopping by. I encourage everyone to read your Q and A at the Athletic with Paul Maurice. Thanks so much for stopping by. Yes, see you, Jeff. Take care. There is the great Mike Russo from The Athletic. Check out his piece as Q&A with Paul Maurice. We got to go. John Bartlett, other side. Keep it here. Covering the Blue Jays from an analytical perspective. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Okay, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Paul Paduti coming up at the bottom of the hour from AdjustedHockey.com. Paul will tell you why goaltenders are notoriously underrepresented at the Hockey Hall of Fame. We've got a lot of them there, defensemen in the Hall of Fame, and then they're centers and wingers on the left and wingers on the right. But what about the ones who, I don't know, have the nerve to win championships for teams? Thank you very much. Uh, Paul Paduti catches up was at the at the uh, bottom of the hour. Meanwhile, I just retweeted someone. I, I encourage. I don't tell people what to retweet necessarily, but I'm going to give this one a gentle, gentle nudge. It's an overhead view of the uh, the Freedom Monument in Riga. Fifty thousand fans welcoming back the Latvian hockey team uh, for winning bronze, which is just a massive achievement. Um, at the World Championships by the uh, by the Latvian squad. I don't. Th- Sometimes I try to catch myself and say, "Okay, I'm talking about this topic too much," or I'm going on and on and on, just sort of droning here about something over and over. Merrick, get off the, you know, uh, get off of it. Find another note to play. But I'm just again so happy for for Latvia and, and Latvian hockey fans about this one. And like, look, guys, girls, cherish it. It's wonderful. Fifty thousand people outside the uh, around the Freedom Monument in uh, Riga. It's just a beautiful thing. If you get a chance and you feel so inclined to retweet to remind people how happy Latvian hockey fans are, please, by all means. In the meantime, John Bartlett joins me now. Uh, play-by-play voice, Hockey Night in Canada, the NHL on Sportsnet. Bart, how are you today? I'm very good. I just gave a retweet of your photo for you. It is fantastic. It looks hey. great with all the people Isn't there. Isn't that great? Huh? That's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. It's, I love seeing that. You know, yeah, you know, I, I was—I went on a lot about it with Elliot, and I went on a lot about it on the podcast um, that we recorded last night, and I was you know, kicked off the show and, and talked more about about Latvia and, and Latvian hockey, and sort of you know what what hockey means to that country and how much of a how much of a great hockey culture they have there. Like, I, I'm not sure where you're at vis-a-vis you know hockey fans in in different countries, but <clears throat> I've always wanted to go to see hot hockey in Latvia, I think, or go to the world championships just to sit amongst the Latvians. I just want to hang around with the Latvians. I've said this for years. It doesn't matter if they're winning, if they're losing, what's happening with their team. They are cheering. They're there. Like, you know how we always, John, talk about pure hockey joy and just yeah. the bliss of being involved and around hockey. And it kind of gets caught up so much in winning and losing and angst and, and, and pressure and all these types of things. Latvian hockey fans, like, they're just like pure hockey joy. And there have been a lot of players, and we think of Sandus Oslinch, who's the only Latvian player to ever hoist the uh, the Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I was telling the story of Helmut Balderas on, on the podcast, who was the only, you know, he's a <clears throat> player from Riga who played on the um, Soviet national team for Viktor Tikhonov. He was the only one from that Miracle on Ice game to, 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 to skate to Herb Brooks in the U.S. bench to shake his hand. Nobody else from that side uh, went over to the Americans to congratulate them. Real nice touch, great athlete. Um, when, when you think of Latvian hockey fans, John, I don't know if you've spent much time in your life thinking about Latvian <laughs> hockey fans, but you know, to me, they, they, they just represent pure joy. They have some great athletes, and it's just such a wonderful thing to watch them come home with a medal. Gold, silver, bronze, doesn't matter. They're coming home for the first time with something. Yeah, and I think what you can sort of relate that to when you talk about that, the experience uh, being a different experience, you know, we see that even in the NHL with 32 different markets. And in Canada, we get 
so wrapped up in what we believe is a is a hockey experience and a hockey fan experience, whether you're in Toronto, Montreal, you know, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, they're all their own little mix, yeah. but but still we get into this Canadian bubble of experience. Then you go into some other markets, um, you know, where you'll have some fans going, oh, well, that's not a real hockey market, but have you gone to a game there? Because the experience there with the fans is just like that. It's pure joy. They have fun. They're singing. They're dancing. They've got their own songs. They've got their own chants for penalties. Yeah. They've, got, they've got this game experience where you go and get immersed in it, and you can really enjoy it. And, and I think sometimes, you know, you're quick to say, wow, it's, it's, not a, it's not a traditional hockey market. Yeah, but they're having a heck of a lot of fun when I see some Canadian markets sitting on their hands some nights pretty bored. So it's kind of like, who's, who's in the wrong here? Because that seems like a good party you want to be a part of every night. So, um, you know, I think that that's probably yeah. another way you could sort of look at it. And Latvian fans are like that. They like to go and enjoy the game and enjoy the spirit of having fun uh, as, a, as fans together for their team. It seems as if here, John, we always want to fix this thing. Like, we are, there's always like there's always a crisis, and we always have to fix something. You know what I mean about <laughs> hockey? I don't know where it comes from. I don't know. There's always like something we have to fix uh, about hockey. Um, first of all, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, really appreciate it. And um, I, I want to go in the in, in the wayback machine here quickly before we get up to the the game six machine, which is yeah. tonight. And the wayback machine, and I'll, I'll frame it this way. So I just had Mike Russo on the show a couple of moments ago, and he just did a Q&A with Paul Maurice. And it's Paul, so you know it's insightful and charming and funny and educational and all those things because, as you all know, like that's Paul Maurice. Um, you and I go back with the Marlies and coming from St. John's to Toronto and Rico Coliseum, and we love to you know, throw out random Marlies names, Brett Englehart, etc., um, what are your memories of calling Marley's games with Paul Maurice as the head coach? Well, that was the first season, so everything was sort of new to having the American Hockey League in Toronto. And even at the time, when you look back, uh, there wasn't that many teams that had their AHL franchise in the city. Now it's very common. A lot of teams do that. Um, but there weren't as many at that time. Uh, Philadelphia was one of them. They were great right across the parking lot when they still played at the Spectrum. Um, so, so it was sort of a new idea because to that point, the American Hockey League was sort of known for being in, in different markets, maybe smaller markets, um, away from the big franchise. So, so that was sort of one thing that you had to get used to. And then now you come into Toronto and now you have Paul Maurice, who's an established NHL coach, coaching in the American Hockey League, coaching this new franchise that's the farm team of the Maple Leafs just down the street uh, from, the, from the big mm-hmm. club. So um, everything was sort of uh, different in a sense of this wasn't your traditional way of looking at the American Hockey League. And I think, you know, sort of Paul Maurice probably brought that approach for the team as well. Um, even though it was a development team, it was, it was all about, uh, you know, trying to uh, frame, frame the system and frame the players to be ready uh, for the NHL. Now, also, it was kind of a different roster when you look now at how, um, I'll use the Marlies as an example, how the Marlies have put a lot of players into the Maple Leafs lineup. Uh, back then, that, those first couple seasons, there might have only been one or two players that went on to play any kind of significant games in the NHL. So it shows you also how the um, focus on the drafting development 
and then you have a farm system team has changed since then. But um, but but sort of I, I you know as a general picture, there's a lot we could get into. We don't have time for that today. As a general picture for what you're asking, that first season, yeah. I think it was all about uh, Paul Maurice adapting to uh, life in the American League and not the NHL, but how to bring all the things you would want uh, from a good player from a good NHL organization into that sort of uh, mm-hmm. development stream and, and growth to have players ready to go up. So I, I would say top to bottom, and, and even those in MLS will admit, top to bottom uh, through the entire organization, a whole learning experience really to, to get into the American Hockey League and have it in your backyard like that in the same market. So Paul Maurice's Florida Panthers face off against either the Vegas Golden Knights or the Dallas Stars. And thank you so much to Dallas uh, for uh, extending this series. And it's been a lot of fun. And Saturday was just a flat-out great game, was it not? I mean, specifically those first two periods. And then, you know, Ty Ty Delandria comes out the the, the star in the third period with a pair of goals. Uh, But, John, just a a couple of thoughts on what we saw in those first two periods. It was 10 bell saves. It was great shots. It was physical. Um, Elliot correctly brings up the the point that, you know, probably Max Domi's best game as a Dallas star coming over from trade deadline. That was a there was a whole lot of there there, John. What's uh, what's for you on Saturday? Incredible. First of all, incredible game. I can't tell you how many times in the commercial break. Uh, we're all talking in the truck and Gary Galley and Scott are going, Oh my God, this game's unbelievable. <laughs> like it was just, it was so fun. Everything was going on. You know, if you're a hockey fan, those are the kind of games you just, you just love oh, watching. Yeah. And yeah, it had, as you said, it had a bit of everything going on. And, um, you know, I, I this whole series really, I mean, uh, here we are going into game six in Dallas tonight at the start of the series. If I said to you, Jeffy, there'll be a game six in Dallas. Uh, you're going to say, of course there will be with this series, right? I don't think anyone thought it would it would end up going 3-0. And kind of funny, I was talking to a few Dallas fans that were in Vegas that came down for the game, and I said, oh, you're looking forward to tonight? Yeah, you know, we're excited. It's been great. It's been so razor thin between, except for game three. We don't talk about game three. I said, yeah, that's your Bruno <laughs> game. We don't talk about Bruno. So, But, you know, so they've got over that. Jamie Benn comes back tonight. And, uh, you know, it's yeah. incredible. Three, three overtime games, and, and I won't repeat what Max Domi said Saturday night, but, but that's the way I think the Stars are viewing it, too. They don't, they don't give a you-know-what about game three either. They moved on from it. Um, you know, uh, Kelly Rudy talking about it, too, in the studio. I think he was right. The Stars, they weren't looking like a team facing elimination. They were looking like a team wanting to win. Um, Aiden Hill was not tested as much, I don't believe, Uh, in the first couple of games of the series, to the extent he was now, he comes up with even bigger saves, uh, but now they're on the losing end, and and the Stars are fighting back. This is an unbelievable series, and I think we're going to have, you know, another great game tonight for these these two teams, you know, being in a game six, which is probably where we all thought it would be six or seven anyway. So, you know, if there is a seven on Wednesday night, it got there in an unorthodox way. There might be NHL history uh, coming, and uh, it, it's just been a marvelous, marvelous series to, to witness. The hockey's been great. Uh, pre-game tonight, 7.30 Eastern, Hockey Central. Your host, Ron McLean, and the puck drops just after 8 o'clock. Uh, tonight, it is Vegas. It is Dallas alongside John Bartlett, uh, Gary Galley, and Scott Oak uh, in conversation here with Bartz. So you mentioned, okay, so I, um, I started the show off by essentially saying, I don't know what to expect out of Jamie Benn tonight. Because on the one hand, 
he's going to be really like, – he, he, he just got released from jail. And he yeah. just got, you know, he just he just like raced raced to his favorite, I don't know, Italian restaurant, and he's ordered the entire left side of the menu, and he's eaten. Like, here's a guy that you know, can't wait to get back in the series. I'm sure he didn't want his season to end under suspension. Uh, the two games are up. The Dallas Stars win both. Here we go for Game Six. So you know he's going to want to do something. And when Jamie Ben wants to do something, sometimes that's really good. Sometimes, John, that's not really good for the Dallas Stars. I have no idea what to expect. Like, I'm sure that there's yeah. part of Jamie Ben that feels really guilty about what he did and how he cost his team, etc. But I also think there's a part of Jamie Ben that's coming out tonight and is saying, like, all right, I'm going to do something. Like, I need, like, this team needs a command performance from their captain, and they're going to get it. Do you have any idea what to expect out of Jamie Ben tonight? Because I don't. Yeah, well, Peter DeBoer kind of saying he's been a grumpy, angry bear wandering around in a cage, so now they're going to, you know, if he gets out tonight. <laughs> so you're right, but but that's the part. You need a little controlled emotion, and um, I expect a big yeah. game from Jamie Ben tonight, but I, I think he knows he also has to, he can't cross the line like he did. He can't do that because he, he, he hurt his team and hurt them badly. But now he's got a chance for a little redemption here tonight on home ice. Crowd is going to be just electric here tonight, I can tell you that. Um, and they're going to love that he is back. So it's all going to be about controlled emotion, I think, uh, for Jamie Van. The other thing, Dallas has to be careful, but they've already gone through this. It's interesting. When Joel Pavelski went out, um, the whole team rallied around the idea that they wanted to keep playing long enough so Joel Pavelski could come back yep. and play again. And they did. So they've already gone through this scenario in these playoffs where now they said, all right, we've got to rally and make sure Jamie Ben can be back in our lineup and playing for us again. And they've done that. So the only thing you don't want to do is have that letdown of, okay, good, we got him back, he's back, and you back off a little. I don't think that's going to happen. Like I said, they've already gone through it with Pavelski, and, and, and this team is in a different position right now where they're, they feel it. They feel it. I, I, I honestly believe the Stars feel that they're going to be able to force a game seven, and then once you're in seven, home or on the road, you know, you're there. It's it's winner-take-all, 50-50 toss-up kind of situation. So I don't think they'll have that that uh, issue of, okay, he's back, we can let our foot off the pedal here at all. But, but yeah, for Ben, I expect a big game. It's just going to be about control the motion. Don't, don't go over the line again and, and get yourself in some trouble. And the other thing for Pete DeBoer, the interesting thing, and he hasn't tipped his hand this morning on this, is, what lineup change do you make tonight to to put Ben back in? Uh, Frederick Olofsson came in, yeah. and, and he's been great. He had five shots in game four, and he's in his limited ice time. He's made yeah. things happen. So, you know, uh, Glenn Denning had a goal. Delandry had two. Uh, where do you go with who do you take out for Jamie Ben? Do you go, <laughs> do you go with the easy one and take Olofsson back out? Or do you go with maybe a more difficult decision? Someone like Mason Marchman, who hasn't produced a point in the series, or or even a Tyler Seguin. I don't know. Like, do you really go off the rails? Mm. He'll probably go with a he'll probably go with a safer bet, I would think. And you'll have it'll probably be an Olsen, I would think, that would end up out, even though he's he's played well. Uh, but um, you know, it's still. I mean, it's a good problem to have, I guess, when you're you have to make those decisions. But but for Ben. Yeah, tonight it will be about controlled emotion with everything going on in the building and, and being back and a chance to force seven. So, But I do expect him to be an impact player in tonight's game. 
Yes, uh, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. So he, here becomes the other question here. We can talk about the return of Jamie Benn. We can talk about how Joe Pavelski is Mr. Clutch. We can talk about how Miro Haskinen is one of the best defensemen in the NHL period. Uh, none of it means anything if Jake Ottinger isn't Jake Ottinger. And I understand that at the other end of this conversation, there's a goaltender who's bobbleheading right now and saying, you keep talking, Jeffy, because the goalies are the most important, and we all know that. Um, but do you have a thought or two on Jake Ottinger? Because through these playoffs, we've seen a couple of versions, Barts, of Jake Ottinger. Yeah. And the version we've seen the last couple of games, since he got pulled and talked about it afterwards, you know, he felt like crying and, and yeah. you got to bounce back. He has bounced back. And, you know, he's been unbelievable um, in these playoffs when it comes to facing elimination. He's 3-0. and He's 4-1 and in his career in uh, facing elimination games and a save percentage above 940. So I think you get the best of Jake Ottinger in this situation. He's the kind of guy that I think really, really feels it when it's on the line. And, and he knows that. So... Um, certainly you can't have a game like game three. Uh, you can't have that happen. I don't think you will. I think he's dialed in uh, right now, and, and um, I, I expect a pretty good performance, again, from him uh, tonight. And, and, you know, the other side of this, too, and goalies get into this battle in the heads. When you look down at the other end of the ice, and Jake Cottinger has had, yep. you know, some great numbers in his career, and this is no disrespect to Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill stepped in and done a great job here for Vegas. But at some point, it's Jake Ottinger oh, yeah. not standing there looking at the other end of the ice saying, uh-uh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let you beat me. You know, like, and, and these are the games. You talk back with Marty Brodeur and Patrick Waugh and some of the greats of the game, and they would tell you about times where they'd look at the end of the ice and go, no, no, not, you're not going to beat me in this one, right? And that's the – so is Ottinger in that situation too where he's in his head going, no, 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 this isn't how this is going to go down. This is my series now. So, And if he gets in that – mindset look out and that's kind of where i think he's at right now with the way he's played in the last couple of games and dialed in you know just dialed in and it's not necessarily to it's when you make uh the save right and he made a couple of key saves in that game five that were at the right time aiden hill makes that huge glove save and and that was a big moment for vegas came back up with a scoring chance there and if they get that goal the roof goes off that place and that game that game changes complexion. They come up on the scoring chance. Ottinger makes the big save. So that's a big save at the right time because stars went, Oh my God, I can't believe we take the lead. Oh, our guy got us beautiful. And you're, and you're still in the fight, right? So um, I think that that's, that's another key part too. It's also when you make the saves at the right time. And the last couple of games, Ottinger has been dialed in to make that, that key save at the right moment. There was a, um, speaking of Aiden Hill, there was that great moment after the, uh, <laughs> after the, uh, the, the goalie interference non-call with uh, Nick Hague uh, pushing the Dallas Star player into, yeah. um, uh, into Aiden Hill. There's a, there's a great shot right by the bench, and I can only imagine uh, what's going through your head, Bart, as, you know, here's Aiden Hill skating to the bench, having a sip of water. There's Nick Hague right at the end of the bench after having pushed a Dallas Stars player right into yeah. him. Uh, costing the goal, and you just wonder what's going on in between the ears of uh, of Aiden Hill. But you know, I, I also do wonder, you know, what's going, 
Now, what's going on in the heads of the Vegas Golden Knights players? Like, I think this is, like, this is by and large a, a veteran team. I know this is Jack Eichel's first kick at the playoff can, but he's not, you know, 21 years old anymore. Alex Petrangelo has been there before. Uh, a lot of guys have been there before and won Stanley Cups. Alex Petrangelo, Alec Martinez, etc. A lot of these players have, you know, been through deep playoff runs before. Like, I don't know that there's any, or I don't see anyhow, any panic whatsoever from Vegas. But when does it get... I don't know. When does it get in your mind interesting for Vegas? Or are we already there? Or does Vegas need a game seven to start to feel the pressure? Well, well, first of all, just go back with your Hag and, and Hill point. It was kind of funny where Hag was on the bench and it's almost like Hill was asking him, did you push him in? He didn't want to admit that he did it. It was kind of that, like, can we just yeah. move on? I don't <laughs> want to discuss this. But anyways, um, yeah, you know, when... <laughs> When when does the pressure shift to Vegas is the big question, right? They're a team that you're right. They're they're yeah. veterans on that team. This is not a uh, uh, you know a new thing for them to handle. Um, I, I think starting tonight, I think you're starting to feel it. Now the one thing Vegas has in their back pocket is is they're going home for seven. So you know that's always you always want to have yeah. home ice in a game seven. So um, if they look at it in the sense of you know we had two overtimes. They're really close games. Uh, you know, we're on the road tonight. We got to try and end this. We don't want to have to have a seven. Um, then they're they're a little more calm about it. I don't think they're panicked. Oh my God, we're blowing a three nothing lead because they know Dallas is a good team and they know how difficult this is to finish off. But but I would say you know now they're they're in a series now. They went from being I forget which player said it. Um, escapes my mind the moment. But basically, what they were saying from Vegas is. You know, it's different when you're when you have a three zero lead, and now it's three two. You've gone from having a three nothing series lead to ah, we've got to finish this off. To now you're in, now you're in a series. It's three two. You're in the heart of it. You don't end this tonight. There's a game seven where anyone can win it. So uh, I think that they're they're probably more into that pressure point now. Um, I don't think panic hmm. is, is any kind of thing in their vocabulary, knowing that they will yeah. they will have game seven at home. Um, and it's, it's been that tight of a series, you know, outside of, of the Bruno game in game three. So um, I, I think that that's, that's probably where their mindset's at. I, I could tell you they're not comfortable in the fact that they had 3-0 and it's 3-2 facing game six on the road here tonight. But I don't think there's, yes. a, there's a panic situation just yet. Yeah. Let, let, let me let me close on this one. I, I am curious too because we'll talk a lot, and we have about Jack Eichel. He's been fantastic. Um, ditto Alex Petrangelo. Ditto Aiden Hill. And it was about a cozy five minutes ago. We thought this guy was falling because Logan Thompson was hurt. And oh no, they have to go with checks notes Aiden Hill. Uh, but he's been great. Um, for me, the answer to this is Ivan Barbashev. But is there a different answer for you? Who is outside of the headline makers? the most impressive member of this Vegan, Vegas Golden Knights team in the playoffs. Who's your guy? Hmm. Well, they're, they're so balanced. You know, when you look at the at the scoring, right, you got Carlson, Marcheseau, and Chandler Stevenson, all three of them sitting at eight goals. The next goal for any one of them will set the franchise record for goals in the playoffs. So um, that, it's been a depth, really, from, from the start of the playoffs. I don't know if there's a hidden person as much as just the depth they have. I like your I like your idea of Barbashev. I think Barbashev's great in the sense that they've been able to flip him between the first line and the fourth line through these playoffs. Uh, Brett Howden has been someone, too, that's been a factor and been able yep. to shuffle around the lineup that way. So um, 
I don't know if there's one particular player you can really put your finger on because there's a few of them there in this depth that they have throughout the lines that could step up and be the, the guy any night. So, um, yeah, Howden, Howden and Barbashev, I think the way the two of them have rotated through lines, they're probably two good choices there. Mm-hmm. Barbashev's been a great pickup for Vegas, by the way, uh, as well. He's done some oh. good stuff for them here in the playoffs. And, yeah, yeah, flexibility, right? When you have that flexibility with guys like that where you can move them around, it, it calms down the lineup. You don't get panicked when things, you know, things happen in a game or things shuffle around. Uh, when you have guys like that, it certainly certainly helps. You know, we talk about, uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times, you know, one of the best trades George McPhee ever made was for Chandler Stevenson. Just a glorious bit of work uh, before taking the president's job and handing it over to Kelly McCrimmon. And, you know, we'll see how things break either tonight or if Vegas doesn't win Game 7 here. But, you know, that Barbashev trade by Kelly McCrimmon around deadline, everyone in St. Louis focusing on, you know, Ryan O'Reilly and Vlad Tarasenko, Ivan, Bar- we always talk about this. It's not the big moves you make at deadline. Sometimes it's the massaging moves, and Ivan Barbashev has worked out great um, for the Vegas Golden Knights. Okay, you got show prep to do. Uh, it's another biggie tonight. Dallas Stars, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, enjoy it. The building should be absolutely electric, and we can't wait to watch it. Thanks as always, Bart. You be good. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Looking forward. Should be a fun night. John Bartlett alongside Gary Galley tonight, and ringside Scott Oak. Uh, it is Game Six of Vegas Golden Knights and the uh, the Dallas Stars. So bring aboard Matt Marchese here for a couple of a couple of moments. You know, just um, if we can rewind here, Maddie, to our, our conversation with uh, with Mike Russo uh, to conclude Hour One. He talked a lot about uh, the dynamic between Barkov and Kachuk, and I'm glad he. You know, we kind of ran out of time. I wanted to get into it with him a little bit. Well, I'll I'll see if I can uh, plant a seed, and we'll we'll see what flowers here, if anything. When I look at the Barkov-Kachuk dynamic, now I know this is different because they don't play on the same line. They all have their own line that they're driving. But, you know, I've always made the uh, the sideways joke that Barkov is finished for Bergeron. Um, should we also say that Kachuk is American for Marchand? Do you I get that, that vibe? Yeah, I think that's fair because they have the same qualities they really do like Bergeron and Barkov very quiet and unassuming uh, both very good at both ends of the ice and then you've Selkie got dudes yeah you've and then you've got Kachuk and Marchand who are uh, some would say loud <laughs> some would say a little bombastic uh they are a yeah, pain in the rear to play yeah. against they're fantastic players in their yes. own rights I think you can make some yes. connection there I really do believe it Matthew Kachuk before our eyes is becoming one of the faces of the NHL, which is very interesting to me because he went to a market where everybody was like, oh, it's Florida and Matthew Kachuk is going to go there and, you know, he gets to live in anonymity and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. But he hasn't, like, especially in these playoffs, how many NHL players are going on the NBA on TNT panel pregame before a playoff game? Like, that doesn't happen. And I just think it's really interesting how his star power has grown in these playoffs playing in Florida. Yeah, so f- further to that point about Matthew Kachuk on the uh, on, on the NBA on TNT panel, that was the first time I looked at Matthew Kachuk and said, I mentioned this on the podcast, this is the first time I looked at Matthew Kachuk and said he could be bigger than the game. Like, he, he could transcend the game is like, We've always thought and believed, and it's been true, that Matthew Kachuk is a star in the NHL. 
will continue to be a star, and that star can only shine brighter as he continues to to, to work through his, the prime of his career. Like he's going to be a like superstar in this league. He's already one of the people that you want to you know uh, a bottle your franchise around, market your franchise around, all of it. Um, you know, he's clutch, and he might want a Stanley Cup with the Florida Panthers. Like that's how that's how good this team is playing right now. But Watching him sit on that panel, and it does help because, A, it's it's the best panel in all of sports television. Um, everybody there is really honest and really gracious as well. Like, those are tremendous and very comfortable broadcasters. Um, and it's a big stage, though. Like, everybody watches that. And there's Matthew Kachuk. Like, we talk about those moments where, as a hockey fan, you say to yourself, like, wow, man, we got one of ours there. You know, we got Matthew Kachuk on the NBA on TNT panel. We got one of ours there. Like that's it. Whether you're a whether you're a, a Florida Panthers or a Matthew Kachuk fan at all, here's the fan of hockey. Like that's gotta be great for you. Like we got one of our guys there on that panel. And Maddie, I don't know about you, but I looked at that and just the way that Kachuk handled himself, the way that he talked, the way that ha- that he looked comfortable with, you know, some of the biggest figures in all of sports. He was charming. He was funny. He was all of that. Like that was the first time I looked at Matthew Kachuk. You know, this guy that I used to cover playing for the London Knights of the OHL. I still remember talking to him after the the Red Deer Memorial Cup and him grousing about, oh, the Hall of Fame took my game-winning stick and I want it back. Um, That guy has the potential to be even bigger than the NHL itself and, and what he brings and his charisma and his delivery and all of it can translate into other things. I never thought about that with Matthew Kachuk until I saw him over the weekend on that panel. What did you make of Matthew Kachuk sitting there for like six or seven minutes with industry heavyweights, legends, the model for panels in sports? What did you take away? I, I I thought he was a star. And honestly, the way that he handles the media, I, I didn't really expect anything less because, like you said, he's charming. He's funny. He's certainly not afraid of anything and certainly not the moment, whether it be on the ice or off the ice. Whatever he kind of goes uh, – it comes his way he handles it really well and that's why you know you you look at the skill that Connor McDavid has and you can imagine what kind of presence he would have if he had the same type of personality as Matthew Kachuk now granted there are very few players that have mm. the same personality as Matthew Kachuk but I think that he's kind, he's really taken the ball and run with it. And you talked about being a second generation NHLer and what advantages come with that just because yeah. you know how to be in that moment. I think that Matthew Kachuk can change what we all envision hockey players are because we always get the they're robotic, they're this, they're that. You can also be a star and still have a personality. And I think that's what's important here that I hope that other players take away from this because Matthew Kachuk is showing that his his bo- his boundary is not hockey. There is no boundary. It's endless for him, the possibilities that he has going forward. And I think I really hope that mm. other players take cues from this. 
Uh, I, I hope so too. But then, but then I, I always catch myself as well. And, you know, if you're someone who's just not comfortable doing it, um, there's no point in trying to, to become something you're not, right? What's the old line? Cows don't make ham. Like you, you are who you are. And that's, and, but then that's Matthew Kachuk. Like, there are just some people that just look comfortable being themselves, right? Like, you know, Miles Davis used to always say, you know, sometimes it takes a long time to sound like yourself. It looks like it's taken Matthew Kachuk about five minutes to figure out that uh, he knows who Matthew Kachuk is uh, and is comfortable being that. Like, I always raise the example of Kelly Rudy. I remember talking to Kelly, and Kelly's been on the hockey night, you know, forever. And he's like, he's, like, is there a more comfortable person on television in hockey than Kelly Rudy? I would answer no. Like, Kelly looks more comfortable than anybody on any hockey panel. Canadian, stateside, doesn't matter. And I remember asking Kelly years ago when I was at Hockey Night, you know, how long did it take you until you felt comfortable on camera? And I expected Kelly to say, yeah, maybe about halfway through my first season or after my first playoffs when I was still playing. He said, 10 years. And I was like, I was like what? <laughs> like, Kelly's the most comfortable-looking person on, on TV. He delivers well. Like, he just, like, it's, he's very, I've always said about Kelly, like, he's really watchable. Like, he makes you really comfortable when you're, when you're watching him and, and very listenable. And for him, it took 10 years in his own mind. Um, and for Matthew Kachuk, it took about five minutes, maybe seven. But that's about it. Like, I'm with you. I, I, I come away from watching Kachuk on the NBA on TNT, and that's a, that's a great one and great cross-pollination between uh, hockey and basketball on TNT. And by the way, TNT, you picked the right guy to have on the panel uh, going away. You, you picked one of the best. I just came away from that saying this guy could be, could be bigger than the sport, and he's a great one to, to, to market your not only franchise but to have on your marquee when you're advertising the entire NHL and trying to market that brand. And you will see when all the balloting is done, well, the balloting is done, when the balloting gets revealed for the Hart Trophy, just where people have Matthew Kachuk. Spoiler, because we're not allowed to say how we vote or we're encouraged not to say how we uh, we vote for some of the obvious reasons. Um, he's not McDavid. But he's really close. That's how my ballot went, and that's where Matthew Kachuk is. Anyhow, we'll hit a uh, hit a break here. Speaking of uh, ballots, how about Hall of Fame ballots? And how about Hall of Fame ballots for goaltenders? And when you go to the Hockey Hall of Fame and you look at all the plaques, maybe you come away saying, uh, where are all the goalies? Well, there's a reason for that, and Paul Paduti will tell us why the Hall of Fame has been historically notoriously tough on goaltenders from adjustedhockey.com, a good friend Paul Paduti in moments. Merrick show continues, and maybe we should ask about Sergey Bobrovsky. And has he done enough, or does he need to win Cup and Con to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame? Paul Paduti, adjustedhockey.com in moments. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet now. Back in a moment. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Gipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Lauren Shabbat, Chuck Rayner, Al Rollins, might be another one, Roy Shrimp Warders. We spend time thinking about goaltenders that are not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. 
Well, my next guest certainly has. Uh, now, he does have criteria to determine Hall of Fame worthiness. We've talked to him a couple of different times here on this program. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at AdjustedHockey or AdjustedHockey.com is the website. He is a great Paul Paduti, and he joins me now. Paul, how are you? Hey, Jeff. I am doing very well. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good, man. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you one of the, uh, and first of all, I want to, first thing I want to do is, is draw attention to your, uh, your latest piece at uh, daily face off. Why is the hockey hall of fame so tough on goaltenders featuring Curtis Joseph? And we're going to get to Cujo here in a, in a couple of minutes, but you know, I had a conversation with someone from the hall of fame selection committee about a month ago. And we we're talking about potential names and just names that, you know, should be front of mind. And I, I, I kind of asked the question, like I always do, why are you guys, you know, and girls notoriously tough on netminders? It's the most underrepresented position in the National Hockey League or in the, in the Hall of Fame, rather. Um, why do you believe the Hall of Fame has been so notoriously stingy when it comes to goaltenders? It's it's a fascinating question, Jeff, and a big part of it, and I, and I touched on this in the article today, is I think the committee itself is really underrepresented when it comes to goalies. I, I went back to 1980, and I found that there were 34 former players on the committee, and there's only been two goalies in history. Um, when you look at the composition today, there are 10 former players, and all 10 were forwards. And I don't know about you, I stick to what I know. And I, I have a feeling that there is not intentional bias, but you have a group of forwards sitting together, they're going to talk forwards. And I can't help but think that's a huge part of it because what's happened is all of a sudden we've created this impossible goalie standard. And, you know, we have pretty run-of-the-mill forwards that are getting in there. And uh, I know you touched on it, but I'm in full agreement. You know, that's, um, <laughs> I'm curious then if you, if you agree with my conspiracy theory that uh, when it comes to goaltenders and forwards and that, and that positional bias, you know, I've always, I mean, everyone has like a crazy theory that they just believe and have no empirical proof, although in this one I might, um, why their, their conspiracy theory may be true. For the longest time in my life, and maybe part of me still believes this as well, uh, I was always of the belief that when it came to the Philadelphia Flyers, or specifically the Bobby Clark run Philadelphia Flyers, because Clark won two Stanley Cups, we all know Philadelphia Flyers, 74-75, they win the Stanley Cup, Bernie Perrant uh, winning the Conn Smythe Trophy. I always felt that, you know, uh, Bob Clark, as he constructed his teams, almost constructed his teams in, uh, with the philosophy of trying to prove that you could win a Stanley Cup without an elite-level goaltender, that the forwards were the most important, and that maybe Bernie Perrant didn't deserve those Conn Smythe trophies, and maybe he did, uh, after all. That, for the longest time in my life, has been my conspiracy theory about positional bias vis-a-vis forwards and netminders. Paul Paduti, I'm just dropping this on you, but are you subscribing to my substack on that one? Uh, I really am, Jeff, and the, the reason I say that is I look at a lot of my mentions on Twitter, and I see a lot of Chris Osgood and Mike Vernon, and to take nothing from these yeah. guys who have had great long careers, won multiple cups, I mean, those are sort of exhibit A, right? I, you know, I do a lot of work, and I calibrate for era, and both those goalies actually are slightly below league average save percentage over the course of long careers, and to me, I'm kind of going... Yeah, they, they won two cups, and I'm not saying they weren't 
critical to the cup brands. It's just, I'm in the camp of, I want great players in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And and to me, when we talk about the Cujos and the Henrik Lundqvist and even the Tom Brassos, these are, these are players who were dominant. They were getting Vezina love. They're at the top of their profession, their whole career. And to me, that's the greatness to be celebrated. And so, um, you, you stuck me with a conspiracy theory, but I'm going to support it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so count the subscription then. Very good. Um, I, I like the, the way you refer to what I call peak performance. You refer to it as high noon, um, that sweet spot of the bat for players and goaltenders where they're almost without peer for a couple of years. And I think about players like... Um, Eric Lindros, who, you know, for, for a couple of seasons, there was, as a peak performer, as you put it, uh, his high noon was super elite. Um, and for goaltenders, it's the same. And I, I don't want to get to Curtis Joseph here. Um, make the case uh, why Curtis, Curtis Joseph belongs in the Hall of Fame and how that might be one of the big Hall of Fame snubs of all time. I'd love to. <laughs> uh, so maybe just at the top to keep sort of the deeper stats out of it. Uh, he did retire with the fourth, the fourth most wins of all time. So that in itself, I'm surprised didn't get more, you know, perhaps old school thought uh, percolating, but he was top five for the Vesna on five different occasions. And these are mostly on mediocre, or at least flawed teams. Um, but when I really dove into the numbers, it's those early nineties years where, Belfour and Patrick Waugh were the guys, and they were on much better teams, um, getting all the Vesna attention. And during that time period, Cujo absolutely popped. He was getting absolutely peppered on the Blues. He was an elite goalie, and that's probably where he should have won a Vesna, and he never did, and a lot of it is just timing. Uh, And I think Cujo's got a ton of hard luck when you think of Belfour, Waugh, Hasek, Brodeur, all almost a match career, uh, and that's where I think he gets dinged a bit. Uh, a lot of my data points just say, this is the guy we've all been sleeping on. And, and the other thing I'd add is he had some electric playoff runs. If you're going to fault a guy for not winning a cup, I mean, he got he won 63 mm-hmm. playoff games. He won six rounds in Toronto, which uh, when we look at the last 55 years, that in itself is <laughs> quite the feat. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's my case. And on top of that, uh, to the extent that people care, he was really popular. Um, you know, I don't take a data approach, but you think of the big names in hockey at the time, he was absolutely one of them. He won a Clancy Award for humanitarian work in the community, and he's a great story. So I try to take a wholesome look at this, and I'm, I'm just thinking there are so many skaters that are not in this conversation, and they're in the Hall of Fame. And, and to me, we've been sleeping on Cujo. Uh, you're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of thumbs up on that one because I think a lot of people are in are in that camp um, for Curtis Joseph. Um, you know, for the uh, for for the longest time, and, and again, like uh, someone from the Hall of Fame selection committee once said, uh, once said to me, "Well, Jeff, this all makes sense and this is fine and dandy, but you have to understand, nobody on our selection committee ever saw Lauren Shabbat play." Um, so <laughs> let, let me, let me throw some of, some of these older names out at you. I don't know if you've done cards on like shrimp orders or Chuck Rayner, uh, or Al Rollins, uh, and you know, maybe my little pet project here, Lauren Shabbat, but how difficult is it to do sort of hall of fame comparison cards the way that you do from some of the old timers that to be blunt, we've never seen play. 
It's it's tricky. I would say that pre 1955 is where the shot on goal started to be tracked, and that sort of gives us a ton more information about what really went on pre 55. Your guess is as good as mine. If we're going to data, it's goals against average, and the stuff that we know has a ton of holes in it. Um, but yeah. to sort of bounce off of those, I do have I, I've run this on everyone in history. So uh, Lauren Shabbat is a little bit above the standard uh, of his era. So uh, I, I've, I've told you that before as well, that I, I really do yep. think he was overlooked. But at the same time, um, there's so many great goalies in the present that I think it's going to be a really hard sell to go and say, hey, this Depression era guy, <laughs> it probably got overlooked, <laughs> yeah, truthfully. Um, yeah. But uh, Roy Warders, uh, he's a little below the standard, a bit of a curious choice. Um, but they let a lot of goalies in a long time ago. Um, call it the first half of the NHL. There's 17 goalies in. And, and you know, we're talking about a 16 league. And, and now we're in a 32-team yeah. league. And we've got 13 in the post-expansion era. It really makes absolutely mm-hmm. no sense that this bar just continually gets raised and, and elite guys like Kudrow and the Barrasso's um, aren't getting a sniff. Barrasso's an interesting one. The, the thing that I keep coming back to, too, and we saw this in baseball with Jack Morris, and I'll just be blunt, you know, when he played, Tom Barrasso didn't make many friends. And I know that it probably shouldn't, you know, enter the equation. I think of the late, great Jim Kelly, who was, you know, physically assaulted once upon a time by um, uh, by Dominic Kashuk in Buffalo and still voted for him for the Hart Trophy, like was able to park all of the personal feelings and the animosity and everything and just objectively look at it and say, like, yeah, he's the he's the, he's the top dog. Um, do, do you have a do you think that? You know, when it comes down to, to voting, sometimes it's how you feel about a person. I know it should be way more objective about that, but that's kind of the way that it feels about Tom Barrasso. I, I would agree because I even look at a lot of the arguments that people make for other goalies. You know, Barrasso won the Vesna as a teenager and the Calder. Uh, he was on two very famous cup teams with Mario Lemieux. Um, he got Vesna up for days, so uh, in my view, it, it's definitely an off-ice thing with Brasso because the on-ice case is really is really strong. I mean, he's in the mix with Cujo. If I could remedy a few spots, it would be Cujo and Brasso instantly, and I think you, mm-hmm. you change the standard a bit, but totally agree. Um, we shouldn't care about the off-ice, but at the end of the day, um, these things matter to people. There's a personal element to this. Um, it's a museum that people go to forever. And when you get hockey immortality, sometimes you reap what you sow, I think, over the course of your career. So uh, I think you're on something there, no question. Do you, want, do you want to hear one of my favorite Curtis Joseph stories? I want to end, end this by telling you a story. We'll do story time with Jeffy here. So this, this yeah, was told to. to me by uh, my former radio co-host, Bill Waters. So Bill, when he was the assistant general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs under Cliff Fletcher, so Curtis Joseph's contract was up and he was due an extension and Don Meehan of Newport Sports was the agent and this is when, you know, the Raptors were starting to rise with Vince Carter. Uh, but very much, you know, as, as Bill would always remind me, Jeffrey, it's called Maple Leaf Square, not Toronto Raptors Square. Let's not forget who the cash cow is here. Okay, I know things have changed now, but that's what it was like then. 
And so Vince Carter signed like some mega mega deal with uh, with with the Toronto Raptors. I can't remember it was fifteen million, twenty million. I can't recall. So I've never heard this as a negotiating point before. So I think it was Don Meehan at Newport. It was Newport for sure. I think it was Don Meehan. So Don Meehan's having a conversation with Bill Waters and says. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs are still the big financial driver here, right? And Bill says, yes, we are. Toronto Maple Leafs still drive the bus here when it comes to the money. He says, well, who do you think is more important then for bringing money into uh, to Maple Leaf sports and entertainment? Curtis Joseph or Vince Carter? And Bill Waters said, well, when you consider how much money the Maple Leafs bring in versus the Toronto Raptors, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Vince Carter or uh, 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 Curtis Joseph. And Don Meehan says, Billy, I'm glad you said that. We'll take the Vince Carter deal then. If we bring in more money than uh, the Toronto Raptors, we'll take the Vince Carter deal. I've never heard uh, of an agent using an athlete from another sport as a comparable, but very creative Newport sports, very creative. Uh, Paul, always a pleasure, my man. You be well, and uh, we'll touch base real soon. Thanks a lot for having me and uh, all the support, Jeff. So I appreciate it. Take care. Not a problem. Why is the Hockey Hall of Fame so tough on goaltenders? Uh, the latest piece on Daily Faceoff by our friend Paul Paduti, netminder himself, uh, our good friend in Sudbury. Uh, all right, and that's it for the program today. Don't forget tonight, 7.30 Eastern, it is the uh, pregame show, Hockey Central, with your host Ron McLean, and then just after 8 o'clock in Dallas, American Airlines, it is the Dallas Stars looking to extend this thing to a Game 7. Vegas looks to win and move on and face off against the Florida Panthers in the final. Should be a good one. Game six was, or game five rather, was just awesome on Saturday. Thanks to everyone who took part in today's show. Paul Paduti from AdjustedHockey.com. John Bartlett from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet. Mike Russo from The Athletic. I encourage you to go read his Q&A with Florida Panthers head coach Paul Maurice and Elliot Friedman. Our daily walk with Freej uh, kicked off today's show. General in the Glance Kennedy, Matt Marchese. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For trying to make this program better. Uh, big week ahead. Lots of news on the horizon. Keep it right here every day at noon Eastern for the Merrick Show. Back in 22 hours. Enjoy game six tonight. We'll talk to you tomorrow.